Hey everybody, this is Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, piloting you through the uh, insane, crazy world of comic books and all that has become of comic books. We're talking movies, streaming, cartoons, games, toys, statues, action figures, all of it, so much of it. I consume it uh, maybe more than you, maybe... Maybe maybe just a, a little less than you. Um, I, I don't know. It depends on on, on where you're, you're you're at in in regards to your full tilt of 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 your obsession. But I have been obsessed my entire life with comic books, comic book heroes, comic book stories, comic book artists, and uh, I am just so proud to be part of this community and have made this my uh, career now. Going on. Wait for it. Wait for it. Uh, uh, 35, 35, 36 years. It's, it's one or the other. It's, it's one or the other, but man, what a crazy trip, but what a gratifying trip. But what an amazing trip, but really that's my career. I tell people, you know, um, I started much younger. I was consumed. I, I would, I would always safely say at, at age seven. And that's really where I, my, my base, I, I put my base, um, launch into this entire, you know, obsession and which would, which would be around 1974, 1975. And I've never looked back and it's so much fun. And uh, I love doing this show and talking about all that I've learned and experienced and sharing it with you guys and opening up this dialogue. And so I just returned. This is, um, the freshest, uh, to market show I will ever have done uh, since I've been doing this for about a year and a half, I just got back from the New York Comic Con 2021 edition. Uh, it was magnificent. After skipping a year and going virtual, the uh, Javits Center was once a, uh, once again open to the public. Very stringent rules. Uh, you were to be vaccinated. And upon um, showing your vax card and your proof of vaccination, you received a green uh, wristband that was to stay on your wrist the entire weekend as mine did, as all of yours did, if you were attending. And, uh, then you got your, uh, badge and your credentials, and then you got scanned in every day, but that green wrist, uh, uh, band from clear, the clear app was that you had to go through the clear app to get to your, uh, your, 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 you know, access, uh, to the show, you know, once, once you went through the clear app, it got you your, um, vaccination clearance. You showed that you got your green wristband. It said clear on the wristband and you were good to go. You also had to be fully masked during the entirety of the time you are in the building, attending the show, being part of the show that went for vendors, fans, talent, all of it, everybody across the board. And let me tell you something. I, I, I have done, uh, a number of store signings during the pandemic, especially in uh, places that were either more lenient or less hard hit. Uh, this time last year, one of my memories was that I was doing a signing for Snake Eyes number two, which had come out uh, October 9th, 10th. And I did a store signing and uh, Orange County was not uh, uh, really, really... Um, flaring up at the time. It was a very, uh, one of the more healthy times 
for the pandemic that we were kind of thought we were coming out of. Uh, prior to that, uh, in in the summer, uh, when 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 again the, the 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 things were really starting to turn for the better in the summer of 2020, I did another store signing. I've done a lot of store signings. I did a bunch in Florida this last year. I did Arizona. I've done California shows. Um, store signings have been the only ways that I've interacted with fans. It's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to to uh, generate excitement for your book, promote your book. Uh, this is the first show I have done uh, in two years. So it was exciting to get back and be part of the community and be part of the excitement. Now, rightfully so, there were people who were uncomfortable. They did not attend. Um, they would post, uh, they would make you know public posts and uh, share those via their social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, that they were not attending. They weren't comfortable yet. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that a great deal of the industry came through uh, basically out of this sheer desire to kind of march through this, get beyond it. I don't know how to quite explain it, but the feeling that everybody had under the roof in that Javits Center and their great, wonderful new expansion is that we are moving forward, that we are trying to put this behind us, that everybody is in lockstep in trying to uh, regain our normalcy. No, ma- no matter where you live, no matter what you're doing, maybe it's your restaurant, um, maybe it's it's uh, it's your gallery, maybe it's your mom and pop store, uh, whatever is going on. Maybe maybe it's your food food truck that you either buy from it or, the, or that you man or, and, the, and that you helm. Look, we're all trying to get back to normal. We're all trying to get some, some normalcy pre-pandemic. And honestly, I got to tell you, this really felt like it. New York City is bustling. It is hustling. We were at a great hotel. It had this um, really killer uh, rooftop bar and restaurant. And my wife and I, she visited a couple times during the show, uh, visited this rooftop, not me. She was out doing her New York thing. But uh, Friday night, we hit the rooftop and you have to make your best bet was to make a reservation. You get seated all along the um, edges of the rooftop with the glass up so that you don't fall over, but you're 16 stories, 17, 17 stories high and uh, really exciting, really beautiful, stunning views. But that rooftop was packed. It was packed with young people, dates. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't comic book people. It was people looking to get out to be with friends, girlfriends, that, that there were there were all sorts of little allotments of that reminded me of, you know, Sex in the City, Samantha, um, you know, Miranda. It's just, it's just, there were good vibes. People were out and about. The Times Square was, um, was, was bustling. Uh, we went to see uh, uh, No Time to Die, the new James Bond film. We saw it at the same AMC that the Deadpool 2 premiere was held out and it was giant and enormous and awesome. It was just as big and expansive as I remember when I went and, when we did the Deadpool 2 premiere there. Giant, giant, like three-story escalators. Um, packed house for Bond. Uh, again, the restaurants that we hit, Restaurant Row, uh, Chinatown, uh, every the, the, the place is bustling. Uh, you know, the, the, there are there are vaccine uh, requirements to get into the restaurants. Some have masks, some don't. It just depends on whatever floats your boat, wherever you're you're heading. But the Javits Center, New York Comic Con, was electric. I, I uh, people, friends who weren't attending because people were hearing other things were like, "Hey, I hear it's not packed." You know, uh, how's that show doing? Is it doing okay? I, I hear it's not doing great. One day I was just kind of tired of hearing all this, 
So I grabbed uh, my phone and took a picture in every direction. Um, and I sent it to my friend. And I said, what do you think? Judge by the photos I sent you. And he's like, wow, that's not what I was expecting based on what I was hearing. Wow, that's a lot of people. Uh, as it marched towards Saturday, Thursday was very busy. Friday was busy. Saturday was monster busy. Saturday was, um, if this was 2015, it was the biggest show in comic books that year. I mean, like these are giant, amazing, uh, uh, attended events. And, and, uh, and this, this, this show was packed on the news as I was, uh, clicking through the news one night, uh, the broadcaster, uh, the reporter who's on the scene said, well, it looks like they're gonna have 160,000 people this weekend through the doors at Javits Center, um, down from the 250 that they had in, uh, all total in 2019. Look, I went in thinking maybe there'd be 75, 80,000 people that were going to be attending this show. Uh, I did a panel. It seated 800 people. It was packed. It would be every seat in the, um, panel that I did was packed. Uh, the, the escalators, I have a shot of the escalators going up to the, the panel rooms and, uh, there's no space. It's just nothing but tons of people. And I understand that we're all trying to get healthy and avoid, um, any worst case scenario. But again, we, you had to be vaxxed. You had to, um, show your information in order to get the green wristband that told all of us that we're, you know, um, vaccinated. And then you were wearing your mask. And I did. I stood there. Um, I did signings every day. They were four-hour long signings. Um, people were kind and gracious and patient, and they stood and they waited. And I stood and I waited and I participated. And we all wore our masks. A couple of people wanted me to take my mask down for photos. I would not. Um, I just figured at this point, why, why, why just you know, why not just stay the course? And uh, so, look, the electricity was great. Uh, there were no significant publishers. All the majors stayed home uh, for whatever reason, staffing issues, cost, I don't know. Artist Alley was bustling as a result of no publishers. Um, it was kind of the byproduct of if you were into comic books, Artist Alley was where the comic book talent was. And uh, among the big name peers that were there, uh, Donnie Cates, James uh, James the Fourth. Uh, the, the, these were the other, like, I mean, so you got your big Batman guys, you got your, your Venom guys, which is great because so much of what we're going to go on and talk about today, a little is this, uh, yeah, we have a new feud. We have a new feud and this one is, is all sorts of ugly. It's just, <laughs> they're hanging it all out there, but, but, uh, so, so, so it was, it was, it was competitive. It, there, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of talent. Um, Scott Snyder was there launching uh, a, a line of digital comic books. So there were um, uh, upper tier quality guests along with all manner of uh, pro-am, uh, uh, you know, pros, amateurs, all up and down Artist Alley, but Artist Alley was packed. It was packed with bodies. People were buying, they were buying prints, they were buying signatures, they were buying comic books. They were getting their stuff slabbed. Um you know, graded, sent, sent into CG, CGC, uh, you know, they, 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 everybody was buying. I went up the stairs in the last 20 minutes of Sunday. So not, uh, what, what you would say is the great barometer and it was packed. Okay. End of Sunday, 20 minutes to go packed. Okay. I had a piece of art that I needed to pick up. The art, art is continues to skyrocket. Um, 
high-grade key books um, keep popping up. You know, Kang the Conqueror is a new, hot, high-grade, hard-to-get 1960s early Avengers comic. Obviously, Moon Knight is on the rise. Uh, 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 Deadpool and Venom uh, maintain, really, their, their, their solid status uh, as, as some of the biggest uh, books that Marvel put out in the last 30 years. So, uh, Miles Morales, I mean... Everything's hopping, guys, and people were were really, really enthusiastic, and uh, I think everybody was excited to be part of this um, this resurgence, this this new energy um, as we as we fight our way through. And I and you know I get home to Southern California, and the news greets me with you know maybe the worst of the Delta variant is behind us. I heard the same thing when I was in New York City. You know the the the, the science, the data, the numbers. Um, it's bearing us out, and look, the the whole reason I'm just going through this with you guys is it was a really exciting time. Um, you know, shook a lot of hands, bumped a lot of fists, uh, had a lot of sanitizer nearby for 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 them and me. Um, we were just having a great time interacting with each other, sharing our mutual passion for comic books. Okay. Um, so that is the the in a nutshell report. I was excited. I did not know that on Thursday. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna do just a little tidbit of this. Uh, so Jake Gyllenhaal and Sam Hargrave are the creative team, the director and the star that are attached to Profit, which is based on um, my longstanding, very popular best-selling John Prophet character who carried his own franchise to the tune of millions and millions of sales. He debuted in Youngblood number two, which sold a million copies. Youngblood number two is the third comic book published by Image Comics. Youngblood number one is the first spawn. Number one is the second. Youngblood two featuring John Prophet is the third comic published by Image Comics. Very interesting. Um, John Prophet, I've been so excited for so long that uh, to share all this news with you when it all came bursting out, numerous um, announcements came out Thursday afternoon and it was all the buzz and people were so excited that they now knew what I knew. And it's all based on the brilliant screenplay, the work done by Mark Guggenheim who rolled up his sleeves after a couple of uh, story meetings with myself in the studio and talking through the do's and the don'ts. And there were some don'ts, but there were definitely more do's than don'ts. There was, you know, but there is... In fact, an entire early version of this that I just would not approve of because I just felt like it veered too far away. And the only thing that I have really learned from all this process is stay close to the comics. Stay close to the comics. And Mark did, and he inserted heart and humanity uh, greater than anything you've seen in the comics. And it attracted major league talent. Sam Hargrave is a premier action director having done Netflix most watched movie ever, Extraction, featuring Chris Hemsworth. He is now helming Extraction 2. Uh, as Prophet is prepped, Jake Gyllenhaal, who uh, you want to talk about some manifestation, some blessings. In 2019, someone asked me, who would you want to play John Prophet? And I said, Jake Gyllenhaal. And here we are. And that's what's happening. And Youngblood 2s and Prophet comics were coming across my table all weekend long during the show and I expect that to probably grow and increase and and, and a couple of guys were showing me the different buzzers because again it's just a, a a symptom of how the everything has changed like comic market apps and comic collector apps are buzzing up and telling you which profits to collect and 
It's a very exciting time, but now you guys know what I knew. Mark Guggenheim, fantastic screenplay, attracted an amazing director, attracted at a one of the greatest actors of this generation, if not the best actor. And if you don't think that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal can get big and ripped, uh, go and see Prince of Persia where he got jacked up before getting jacked up was kind of a thing before I think Jackman took it to the next level and Josh Brolin is cable and uh and certainly Hemsworth and his transformation and 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 Chris Evans and his transformation everybody um Jake was kind of at the forefront of this and and so so I don't don't believe for one minute that he cannot um perform that same amazing physical transformance which will be you know um very necessary to to pull this off. The screenplay is, in fact, just so damn good. You are going to have a great time. You are going to abs- absolutely have the very best time experiencing profit. So uh, that was a big deal at the show. It was exciting. And I was ex- I'm excited that you guys all now know what I know and that it's out in the open. And um, this is all going to set the table for a podcast in the next coming days about the 90s. And the 90s kids and how the 90s kids are striking back. Because you're not kids anymore. But that's an, an entire podcast in and of itself. Uh, and that is coming. And I look forward to doing that. But today, we have to pivot directly into the craziest, the absolute craziest feud of any of the uh, recent feuds. You know, we did this series and we took a break after a while because it just... um. I didn't want the, the, the show to be focused on all these feuds, but it's been a couple months now. We've taken a break and there's nothing bigger. That's what, what is going on right now with this crazy feud. And we're going to call it Venom. Uh, uh, and it's kind of like the comics industry eats itself. Okay. Which I guess is appropriate if you're arguing over symbiotes. Now, You got to understand Venom. Okay. Venom 2 has just come out. I believe that is obviously the impetus for all of this. It is, it is driving so much of what's going on. And the author of, uh, the, uh, first appearance of Venom is David Michelinie. You've heard me speak and glowingly praise David Michelinie, 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 his work over multiple episodes he did an award-running exciting amazing transformational run on iron man that ran concurrently to the best x-men run ever with burn austin he did that he did that alongside bob layton and john ramita jr and it is a classic of its time one of the if not the best extended runs of iron man he did episodes issues of avengers that are just stunning that are fantastic i just absolutely love them uh, and along the way, again, whether it's the Centurion in Iron Man or the Taskmaster, uh, or or uh, the 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 Paul Rudd, um, Scott Lang version of Ant Man, David McElhinney has been contributing to the comic book lore with his own characters and his own creations, his own ideas, his own concepts. But he is not the artist; he is a writer. So he splits within artists when he comes up with a concept. So he has come forward about his thoughts on who and what should be credited in regards to Venom. So um, before I stray too far, I am going to uh, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, 
and 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 start with what is going on right now before we go and kind of do the the sleuthing into this very messy um uh uh it, it is absolutely 100% a very very messy affair this uh this this entire venom uh this entire venom uh creative credits situation and it, because it 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 involves the black costume that became that came on Spider-Man when they were doing Secret Wars and even that has is just um just crazy with kind of um some not quite definitive uh information in regards to uh to, to which which is the first appearance of Spider-Man in the black suit i mean th- th- that is um already a bone of of some uh, some some contention. No, people don't agree even on which one ship first. And then there's the dates, and we're going to get to that because maybe that's going to be our guide. Okay, but um, this uh, this this started off, and 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 with again David McElhinney, uh, when the first Venom movie came out, and in full disclosure, the first. Venom film. I took my family to the premiere. My two kids went with me. We were seated next to Mr. Dave, Mr. Um, Michelini the entire uh, the the premiere that Sony threw, and uh, we were about the tenth row and had the good pleasure of sitting next to David. And I was just uh, you know telling him how he wrote some of my favorite Avenger stories. If there there's a Kang the Conqueror episode of this very podcast that I gave you, and it, it discusses my favorite story ever with Kang the Conqueror, and it is in fact in a novel that he wrote when Marvel did their deal with Pocket Books, and it's called The Man Who Stole Tomorrow. And a couple of years ago, when I was on vacation with my family back in Maui, I brought that as my weekend, my, my, my weekend Maui, reading book and I read it again and it was just as good as it was when I read it when I was 10. David is very fa- uh very very confident, very uh, accomplished, very um uh, brilliant writer and again his work on Spider-Man alongside Todd McFarlane, uh Mark Bagley, Eric Larson is the stuff of legends. It is a run for the ages. It is appreciated, loved, adored, um heralded by uh by all of fandom. So he, two years ago, uh, wrote a thing called that he doesn't believe, he doesn't like when he reads that these creator credits, which he believes, and in my own experience, they are misleading. And he doesn't think that a co-creator status is, um, informs you to the true intent of who created what and how and why. So he said he wanted to create a new term called originator because he believes that, 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 that the creator stuff is getting thrown around a little too easily, a little too sloppily. Sometimes I agree with this. Sometimes I don't. Depends on, you know, what's the subject. There's so many of them. He put forth this whole idea that I'm going to come up, this is him writing, I'm going to come up with my own term called I'm the originator because I want you to know that I originated Venom. This is David's words. And then it kind of died down and things went on, but now Venom 2 came out. It's a giant mega smash, okay? Well, uh, 
you know, David Michelinie put forth after the opening of Venom 2, uh, he uh, wrote something that says, and I, and I on, on his Facebook page, and I went there and I, I watched it. I didn't interact with it. I really don't want to insert myself in any of this. What I'm going to share with you today, as you'll see, is I'm going to read to you what all the participants are saying. Because this is batshit crazy. I kid you not. David starts, and he wrote this two weeks ago, sigh. Starts with sigh. I guess we'll be faced with this recurring disagreement every time a new movie featuring Venom arrives. Last time I posted a lengthy thesis explaining my viewpoint and opinions, the many definitions of creator and creation. Then ended by saying that in an effort to decrease future misunderstandings, I was going to henceforth try to refer to myself as having originated Venom rather than using the C word he's referring to creator. Didn't work. So this time around, I'm going to pare it down. I'm simply going to ask two questions and provide the only two answers that can be provably true. Question number one, this is David McElhinney. I'm reading from his post on Facebook. If Todd McFarlane had never been born, would Venom still exist? The answer, yes, because someone else would have drawn him. Question number two, if David McElhinney had never been born, would Venom still exist? David's answer is no. It's as simple as that. Argue amongst yourselves if you wish, but I have had my say and I am done. This is a statement. Well, Eric Larson, who did uh, run with David on Amazing Spider-Man, uh, fe- features some Sinister Six, uh, introduced Cletus Cassidy, who would go on to become Venom, uh, to become Carnage, another symbiote. Eric Larson obviously worked with David Michelinie. And Eric Larson was recently on the show, and when I asked him about collaborating with him, it was friendly. But Eric wanted to uh, respond to what David wrote. So within 24 hours, here is Eric Larson responding to the diatribe I just read to you about uh, David Michelinie and him putting forth these two questions. If Todd had never been born, would there be a venom? The answer is yes because someone else would have drawn him from David's story. If David had never been born, would would Venom still exist? The answer is no. So Eric Larson writes, I vehemently disagree. If credit goes to the person who started with a blank page, then credit for Venom should go to whoever dreamed up that alien Spider-Man costume designed by both Mike Zeck and Rick Leonardi, two outstanding illustrators, by the way. You didn't start with a blank plate. A blank page, David. You started with an instruction manual. Todd McFarlane added, again, these are Eric's words, a stringy, gooey transformation process. He gave Venom claws. He made Venom's appearance progressively more monstrous with a bigger jaw, sharper teeth, and he visualized Eddie Brock from the ground up. Would Venom exists without Todd, not the one we know of. Would Venom exist without David, not the one we know of? These are Eric's answers. But once there was an alien costume in existence, which was spurned by Peter Parker, it was inevitable that somebody would don that costume. And since evil twins are such a storytelling staple, a character like Venom has pretty was pretty much inevitable. Hell, Greg Wright, I need to tell you who Greg Wright is. Greg Wright uh, is was coloring 
the objective list. That's what we call it. Spider-Man. After Amazing Todd went off and launched his own Spider-Man title that he wrote and drew, it sold 3 million copies. Greg was the colorist along on, on all of that. Greg was also on staff at Marvel. He wore many hats, among them editor. He interacted with Spider-Man and Todd with um, by coloring Todd's work. He is mentioned here by Eric. Eric cites him, and Greg, uh, say, Eric says, Greg Wright mentioned in his thread that the idea of the black costume being turned into a villain came directly from Todd. So you put a disgruntled reporter in a discarded Spider-Man outfit. You couldn't even be bothered to pick a different profession for crying out loud. This is, again, Eric Larson, word for word. Brock's motivation was so weak that it was ditched in the movie iteration. You didn't create the costume, David. You didn't create his powers. And now you're bellyaching because you have to share credit with a guy who suggested turning the black suit into a villain and helped make Venom wildly popular. Give me a break. Venom became huge despite your efforts, not because of them. That visual made Venom, and you fought that every step of the way. You put notes in the plots not to make Venom look too monstrous because you claim fans were more interested in the man beneath the mask. I was scolded for giving Venom the tongue. So pardon me if I don't shed a tear for poor, mistreated, misunderstood, auteur David Michelini. Wow. That is um some heavy... Heavy stuff, okay? Or as the Beatles would say, heavy, heavy. Anyway, all right. So, of course, David Michelini is going to respond to this. He says, you know, Eric, David Michelini, these guys both get a run on this book, Cardiac, the, the, the female furies. These are the stories they did, not the characters they created. Um... Sinister Six, some fun stuff, great stuff. Eric's run is a blast. David and he, Eric then went to adjusted with Spider-Man to follow Todd and then wrote his own stories. But for a brief period, the year that he did Amazing, he was working and he did some Venom stories. Again, added the, added the tongue. I think kind of further enhanced Venom. So David is now writing to his, you know, the guy who he created Cletus Cassidy with. You know, Eric, I'm not going to get into a battle of words with you. There's nothing I could possibly say that will change your mind. You're like an ardent Trump follower. You won't believe anything that challenges your own viewpoint or opinions. You've shown many times in the past through posts, interviews, and letters to publications that you won't let little things like facts or the truth sway you from what you want to believe. However, I will point out some of the errors in the misinformation that you offer in your post. First... You say that Mike Zeck and Rick Leonardi should get credit for creating Venom, and they should get credit for designing a new Spider-Man costume. You then parody my comments by saying, would Venom exist without Todd? Not the one we know of. True. And please note that I have never, ever in public or private said one word against Todd's talent or his contributions to Venom's popularity. But then you say, would Venom exist without David? Not the one we know of. That's not quite accurate. There wouldn't be a one we know of because there wouldn't be a Venom. Period. Next, you refer to Greg Wright's post where he mentions Todd said he had been the first to pose the idea of using the symbiote costume for a villain. This is another case of you're giving Todd credit for something that wasn't quite his. I don't know what the exact date that Todd was assigned to Amazing Spider-Man, but it was well after my jump to Amazing, after writing Web of Spider-Man, and his first 
Amazing Spider-Man story appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 298, dated March 1988. Here's where the facts come into play. In Web of Spider-Man number 18, dated September 1986, that's two full years. There's a sequence where Peter Parker is pushed in front of a subway train, barely escaping, and is afterwards thoroughly creeped out because the spider sense didn't warn him. That was because the mysterious attacker was wearing the symbiote costume, and it was a teaser sequence to start introducing what would have become Venom. The idea of a dangerous foe who didn't trip the spider sense was the first nugget that got me thinking about the character that would become Venom. There was another teaser that occurred in Web of Spider-Man in a later issue that I plotted, but someone else scripted. But the important one is issue 18. The date on my copy of the plot says I turned it in on May 8th, 1986. Now you tell me, how can Todd be the one, be the first one, the first one to pose the idea of using the symbiote as a villain if I already had been developing such a character at least a year before he and me for that matter, wherever assigned to Spider-Man. I'm sure you'll have an answer, Eric, since reality doesn't seem to play much of a part in your arguments. And then you berate me for bellyaching about sharing credit with a guy who suggested turning the black suit into a villain. Maybe you should hire someone to fact check your arguments before you post them, Eric. So my Eddie Brock motivation was so weak that it was ditched in the movie iteration. Really? How about it was ditched in the movie iteration because in the comics... Did you ever even read them? He puts in parentheses. The original motivation was tied directly to Spider-Man, which Sony couldn't use at the time. And if the current buddy's angle is something you think is original and the silly humor in the latest version is actually funny, well, dot, 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 more power to you. That's it. I give up. I could go on and on. Go ahead. Make a snarky crack about that line. I know you want to. But it wouldn't do you any good. Your mind is obviously so set that trying to introduce it to veracity would be like forcing an infant's mouth open to feed its stewed prunes. So this is it for me. I won't waste any more time responding to unfounding blathering. I'm not going to take the coward's path by blocking you from this page. So feel free to rant all you want. I have better things to do. Okay. The volleys have been... I mean, they're shooting at each other here, okay? And that is not where that ends. This then takes on a whole new, uh, you know, level of, of vitriol, honestly. So uh, what happens is that we are shown that in Wizard Magazine, 1993, David Michelini had an entire letter published that he wrote into Wizard and they published it. I'm going to read it to you. 1993. Dear Wizard Magazine, I just wanted to drop you a short note. This is David Michelinie writing, by the way. Dear, Dear Wizard Magazine, I just wanted to drop you a short note to correct an error in your January issue. First, I'd like to thank you for making Venom Number 1 your top pick of this issue. I hope everyone gets a kick out of the book when it hits the stands. However, I did take the exception to being referred to in the article as co-creator of Venom. I assume your... Writer was thinking of Todd McFarlane, the artist of Amazing Spider-Man. At the time, Venom made his first appearance as the other co-creator. Todd's visualizations were fabulous, and I'm sure Venom would not have reached the heights of popularity if it had been initially drawn by someone with less talent and imagination. Todd's unique and intense visuals freed me to push the envelope in both dialogue and characterization, and his artistic contribution to the first Venom stories cannot be overemphasized. So he's very generous to Todd here. 
However, there was only one person who actually created Venom, and that is me. I hate to sound like I'm blowing my own horn, but after 19 years of writing comics, this is the first time I've created something that resulted in action figures, t-shirts, and its own unplanned at the time of his creation, that is, series. So I guess I'm just a little jealous about sharing credit. To set the record straight, Venom's earliest incarnation is actually Web of Spider-Man 18. Collectors take note in an epilogue sequence in which Peter Parker was pushed in front of a subway train and was spooked by the fact that whoever did it did not trigger his spider sense. I had planned to make the mysterious attacker female and her background was completely different from the character that would eventually become Venom. But the basic idea was still there. Someone who hated Spider-Man, who had joined with the alien symbiote to try and kill our hero. When I left Web of Spider-Man, the character I had started to develop went into limbo. Then, when Amazing 300 rolled around and Spider-Man editor Jim Salakrup wanted to introduce a new villain in that issue, I brought up upon my anti-Spidey symbiote woman. Jim liked the concept but thought readers might have a trouble accepting a female character smashing Spider-Man through walls. Feminist readers take that up with Jim Salakrup. So I made the character male. I came up with Eddie Brock, the persona to fit the new origin. The name Venom was derived from the Venomous Stones. The character was fo- stories. The character was forced to write for the sleazy tabloids. The new character's first appearances are in amazing Spider-Man 298-299. The plots for those issues, including visual descriptions of the character, were bought by the editor before a regular artist had been assigned to the book. So that you, so there you have it, the true secret origin of Venom. Once again, I hope no one takes this as a swipe at Todd in any way, shape, or form. I had a great time working with him on Amazing, and he deserves every bit of fame and fortune that has come his way. It's just that Venom sprang from a single demented mind, my own and I appreciate your giving me a chance to clear that up. Wow, that's 1993. David is nipping this in the bud from his point of view. He is getting in there. Except, guys, this is going to seem really familiar and really weird and really strange. But the very next issue, Wizard 23. Okay, a couple issues later. Wizard 23, Eric Larson responds to the letter that they printed, that I just read you, that exact letter, word for word, from David Michelinie. Eric Larson writes, Brother, that Michelinie clown's got a lot of gall. He swipes the existing alien Spider-Man outfit with his existing powers that already hated Spider-Man and put it on a poorly motivated, poorly conceived character. Todd McFarlane takes Dave Michelinie's description of a big guy in the existing Spider-Man outfit and adds his own touch of green face with accompanying fangs, slobber, losing the tongue and claws. And then Dave claims sole creation of the Venom character. I am just reading word for word what Eric wrote in his letter to Wizard. Yeah, right. I suppose he'd claim to have invented Spider-Man if he could get away with it. I'll give Dave credit for co-creating Eddie Brock if he'd like. McFarlane was still responsible for designing that character visually, but that's not much to crow about. One-dimensional, hate-driven, revenge-hungry characters are a dime a dozen. Eddie was the main reason I disliked the Venom character so much. Eddie's motivation for hating Spider-Man, as you may recall, is that he was a reporter who believed a guy who was claiming to be the Sin Eater. Who believed a guy who was claiming to be the Sin Eater. Eddie got canned for the paper for writing his stories with a lack of fact-checking. His rationale for hating Spider, Spider-Man Spider was that if Spidey didn't catch Sin Eater, he had never gotten caught and he, could, he would continue to write his bogus articles for the rest of his life. This is idiotic. 
Sin, Sin Eater would have probably eventually been caught by someone else. The man who confessed to Eddie didn't have his name printed in the paper, so it wasn't like the world would know that he was talking to the wrong guy. What would Eddie have poor Spider-Man do? Allow innocence to be slaughtered just for the sake of maintaining the jur journalistic integrity? All caps, DUMB. The whole Venom-Spider-Man conflict would be resolved in two panels of halfway thought of dialogue if only a writer capable of such a feat could be given the assignment. So, little little snarky, little, little more aggressive Eric comes out swinging based on that letter that we see run in Wizard and writes his own rebuttal. Now, Todd McFarlane has done a video in the last couple days uh, detailing his origin of Venom from his perspective. I'm going to read that to you, but not like Todd. In one minute, the origin of Venom's visual creation. David Michelinie would come up with a story to go with the visual I created. I came into the Spider-Man office after doing the Hulk, and they wanted me to do Spider-Man, but he was in his black costume. I didn't want to draw the black costume Spider-Man. It meant nothing to me. I wanted to draw the classic, the red and the blue. So they said, Todd, if you just come on at 298, we promise that maybe we can get rid of it. I go, well, let's just get rid of it fast. So I did this character. I ripped the costume off of Spider-Man. I did this character called Venom, handed it to David Michelinie, the writer, and they said, just hold on, hold on, hold on. He's, he continued. So then, all of a sudden, I do number 298, he's still in the black. 299, he's still in the black. Finally, 300. Look, I even said here on the, the cover sketch, can we do one in the black and red? Come on, I want to do the black and red costume. And they said, yeah, 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 fine. And that is Todd's one minute um, recollection of coming up with Venom. So here's the deal. I wasn't there. I have really never had these conversations. I am literally repeating to you all of these different versions of this story that are being presented. Uh, so in the previous section, Michelinie is clarifying that he's no longer claiming himself as the sole, the, the creator, the sole creator of Venom, but rather he is the originator. So Ron Friends, he drew the first appearance of the black costume on Spider-Man, okay? That is, it's slightly contested. We'll get into that in a minute. But it's, it's either 1A or 1B. He was early on. He was way out in front of it. This is years before Venom. He talked to the original person who had suggested the black costume for Spider-Man. He adds, this is Ron Friends, the artist of Amazing Spider-Man when the black costume debuted. Todd McFarlane created Venom to get Pete out of the black suit and into his preferred classic red and blue suit. And writer David Michelinie is a poopy head for saying otherwise. I am embarrassed to say that I ascribed to this thinking for years because of the simple fact that if I were assigned the job of turning Spidey's black suit, now a living symbiotic creature, thanks to the twisted mind of writer Tom DeFalco, into his new nemesis, I would not have gone big and muscular and might never have thought to add the mouth, which originally didn't even include the tongue, which was added later by illustrator Eric Larson. This is Ron Friend's Spider-Man artist writing this. Except those elements were right there in Mr. Michelinie's original plot for Venom's first appearance, also attached. 
which was conceived, typed, and editorially approved before Mr. McFarlane was ever hired to illustrate the adventures of Spider-Man. Did Mr. McFarlane's subsequent popularity and dynamic approach contribute to Venom's immediate breakout success? Mr. McElhinney has never, all in caps, stated otherwise. So, to the purpose of my drawings attached to the screed, question, does the drawing based on Mr. Schuler's description look like what was published as Spider-Man's black costume, which later became Venom. Question, does the drawing based solely on Michelinie's description of this new character from his plot look at all like the Venom we've come up come up with, uh, come to know? I'll shut up now, says Ron Friends. He attached an excerpt from Amazing Spider-Man number 299. This is Ron Friends, Amazing Spider-Man artist. He did so many issues. Hobgoblin stuff, uh, the black costume, just Ron was a constant on the book. The excerpt from Amazing Spider-Man says the following. Uh, but as she turns, but as she enters the apartment and turns the lamp on the lamp next to the sofa, she star she starts as she looks over to a still shadowy corner where she sees the white spider and eye shapes from Spidey's costume, thinking that it, Peter is home. She starts to scold him gently, but stops, surprised as she sees a white smile from beneath the eye shapes. Not a pretty smile, a scary smile, like that of a predator, sure of a quick kill. The form then steps from the shadows, and we can see that it is dressed in the black Spider-Man costume, but it is definitely not Peter Parker. Besides the feral smile, the, mon the man's body is huge, bulky, massively muscled like Arnold Schwarzenegger on a good day. MJ backs up terrified. The stranger reaches out a hand towards her, his lopsided animal smile stretching to the point where it almost connects behind the head. A totally inhuman gesture. Then at last he speaks. Hi, honey. I'm home. Okay, so that is the description of what, of how David Michelinie wrote that page that Todd would then draw from. So, wow. This is just the setting of the table. This is just the setting of the table. Because Howard Mackey, another writer, ghostwriter, an editor at the time of Marvel, weighs in. He says, wow, what a rouser of rabble to Ron Friends, who started this new thread. Not Michelinie, not Larson, not McFarlane the previous Spider-Man artist before Todd, Ron Friends, who um, has a foot in the derby of who introduced the black costume first. Howard Mackey, wow, what a rouser of Rebel. Eric Larson weighs in. This is on a thread in Facebook. Everybody kind of weighs in and says, and Eddie Brock, did Michelini provide a drawing of him? Because I seem to remember that character not previously existing. Todd obviously enhanced the initial idea considerably adding claws, making his face progress, progressively more monstrous. He enhanced the transformation, having it turn into stings of strings of goo, pulling in different directions. Michelini was handed all the pieces, Eric says. He had the costume, the powers, and all the rest. He was not starting with a blank page. That Todd gets co-creator co -creator credit for cranking the visual to 11 and visually designing Eddie Brock is fair to me. Ron Friends comes in, says, uh, as stated in the thread by someone, Eric, we're all very aware of your opinions on the subject. Are any of my facts in error, though? I make no judgments. Be safe. 
Eric says, Ron, friends like you, I have no dog in this race. My one contribution was Venom's tongue, which seems to have taken on a life of its own. I can't speak for office shenanigans because I wasn't in the room, but Greg Wright has recalled that Todd suggested putting the costume on a villain because he wanted to put Spider-Man back in his original costume. Regardless, creating Venom was a layup. It's an obvious idea, and David was handed all the necessary components. Would he have been a huge hit drawn by any other artist? We can only speculate. This kind of creation is akin to coming up with another character to wear Iron Man's armor or another colored Hulk. It's just the most minimal level effort of character creation. I've never been a big fan of these kinds of derivative characters, given Todd's tweaks and the Eddie Brock visual. I do not think Todd's credit is out of line. Ron Friends then responds, Eric, when did anyone say that Todd's credit is out of line? Not a part of this conversation. Also, to address Greg's remembrance, Pete was already in a cloth version of the black suit. The symbiote was already in the wind, and it appeared in teaser scenes in Web of Spider-Man by David McElhaney, so getting rid of it to change the black, the costume black was no longer necessary. Eric Larson, McElhaney seems to dismiss every contribution but his own. Greg Wright is here. Greg Wright, colorist of Todd Spider-Man, editor back in the day. He weighs in. To clarify my remembrance, I know Todd wanted to draw the red suit badly. And Todd himself has said once, had said online, if they liked the suit so much, they should put it on someone else and make them the villain. I have no memory of the timeline of when this was said or if it had an ounce of effect on what was done or if it was just the plan. Only Jim Salakrep, the editor of Spider-Man at the time, can attest to that. Ron Friends jumps back in. Seems, Eric? Seems? According to, this is referring to Eric Larson above saying, Michelinie seems to dismiss every contribution but his own. Ron Friends says, Seems, Eric? I've never read an ill word from Mr. Michelinie about Mr. McFarlane or his work. Maybe he has and I've just not seen it. What I have seen is Mr. McElhaney trying to get the facts out in the sometimes loud cloud of Mr. McFarlane's popularity and broader platform. Brett Breeding, he inked so many of Ron Frenz's uh, Spider-Man books. They were a team. This is his inker. Brett Breeding, again, these are old men. These guys are all in the, their 60s, okay? Maybe in their 70s. Brett Breeding, that, that, that's fine. I hope to make it to that end too, but I'm just telling you, I'm 54. These guys are at least a decade older than me in every case. <clears throat> Todd himself is uh, is 60, 61 this year. He's already 60, he's going to turn 61. So Todd himself is seven years older than myself. These guys weighing in are, are, in, are a decade older. Brett Breeding says, bullshit Eric, bullshit Eric. You clearly have personal issues with Dave Michelinie as you continue to insert yourself into this discussion at every opportunity going all the way back to your letter in Wizard Magazine decades ago, childlessly attacking Dave for clarifying he did not directly collaborate with Todd on creating Venom in the way he worked together with Bob Layton on Iron Man. You have no personal knowledge of any of the circumstances in this matter, yet you feel qualified to pass judgment. You are the only one trying to dismiss anyone's contribution by continually dis diminishing Dave Michelinie's part in creating Venom. Dave has always acknowledged Todd's part in designing and making Venom popular and gives him due credit whenever the subject comes up. For some reason, you seem incapable of recognizing this fact. You clearly have mental deficiencies. 
you should address. So we got name calling going on. We got vitriol. We got Ron Friends, Brett Breeding, taking up for David against um, Eric's opinion on the matter. Michelini weighs in. Eric, did you even bother to read my response to your rant on Facebook? I answered most of your misinformed accusations with both facts and dates and confirmation. Have you any proof, all in caps, of what you say about me, my contributions, or my appreciation of Todd's contributions? If you haven't, you sh- if so, you haven't shown them. So far, you haven't addressed the matter, but have only continued to shout your personal opinions, continued, um, uh, uh, which you are entitled to, but they have nothing to do with actually transpired. Oh, and if you're going to go around the internet, que- internet questioning my honor, my professionalism, and my accomplishments, the least you could do is show me the simple courtesy of learning how to spell my name right. Wow. So this thing is a thing. It's a thing. We just got one entire era of Spider-Man creators because Ron Friends and Brett Breeding were a team in the in 1985 to jump in and comment on the 1989-1990 creative team and what they were doing and back their, their, their writer. And here's the deal. They're tribes, okay? The one thing you, you must understand, um, Ron Friends, Brett Breeding, Devin Michelini, Anyone else from that period? There's, that's tribes. They stick together. They like to stick together. They like to protect their eras. It's like NBA players. It's like Bird and Magic saying we were the best. Jordan saying he's the best. Kobe and Shaq saying we're the best. LeBron saying he, he's the best. Tom Brady fanatic saying he's the best. Joe, Joe Montana fanatic saying no way. He doesn't get treated the same way Joe did. He gets hit and knocked down. Uh, Joe got hit and knocked down and Tom Brady doesn't get touched. Two schools of thought. Eras are being protected. The tribes are in full effect here. What people gloss over is the Mike Zeck, Ron Friends aspect. And then there's the Art Adams part. And what am I talking about? Because here we go. You have to understand. This is incredible. The black suit. The black suit that you do not get Venom without. Because Venom is wearing literally the black suit, but it has been transformed into his monstrous visage. He's more muscular. He's bigger. He's got that... Mouth, the grin, as they said. Eric Larson put that tongue that has taken on a life of its own following Todd's initial depiction of Venom with his big, jagged smile and teeth. But it's all from the black costume that has the same uh, white spider across the costume that was part of the black Spider-Man costume that we first met in Secret Wars. Um, Well, actually, we didn't. We first met it in Amazing Spider-Man 252, except Marvel Team-Up 141 is categorically listed as coming out before it. Art Adams drew this fantastic cover with Spider-Man dropping down in his black uniform. Daredevil and Blackwood on either side of him. I can tell you firsthand when I picked this comic book up, I hadn't seen the other black costume iterations. I don't believe they were out. I bought this at a comic store. This is beyond. This is past my spinner rack. This is now I'm getting my comics from the comic store. And I remember this Marvel team up being first. And there is a question. There is a statement that says that, that the Marvel team up shipped April 30th, 1984, two weeks prior to Amazing Spider-Man 252, which was in stores May 10th, 1984, the first appearance of the suit in the regular series. 
the first appearance of the black suit period is the cover uh, and the story of Marvel team up number 141, which was a month earlier. Well, it was 11 days earlier. Then there's Marvel comic superhero. There's Marvel superheroes, secret wars. Number eight, the famous Mike Zek cover all head to toe Spider-Man in the black symbiote costume. Um, then there's obviously Amazing Spider-Man 300, which comes out in 88, which has the full, first full appearance of Venom. But uh, the black costume was a product of a fan who sent in these drawings to Jim Shooter suggesting this design. Jim Shooter cut a deal paying this kid and agreed upon a couple hundred bucks. I met this grown-up kid at New York Comic Con. He came up to see me. So I got to press the flesh with him. He shared this with Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter made a deal, paid him a couple hundred bucks, said, now we own this, sign off on this. I don't know what besides money and perks that he got. And they went about their business. Rick Leonardi did several turnarounds, front, back, side, all different manner of uh, sketches depicting the black costume. My exec then depicts the first symbiote which is how the costume comes to know Peter Parker and jumps onto him. And over the course in his regular book with Amazing 252, we find out that the dark, that the costume is, is turning Peter dark. Now in the, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3, a movie that is not universally loved or appreciated, uh, we get the uh, cinematic version of Venom for the first time. And Topher Grace is Eddie Brock. And we get our vision of the uh, Spider-Man, the black suit, which first appears on Peter Parker, the Tobey Maguire iteration, and it turns him evil. He is slowly getting darker and darker and pushing everyone away and becoming much more um, reprehensible to everyone around him. And then uh, the, 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 the symbiote leaves him, finding Topher Grace, who becomes the classic Venom. Venom has appeared cinematically three times. Following uh, the the Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3, he goes and does the Tom Hardy films. I mean, they, they, they continue to position him. His proximity to Spider-Man and the popularity that he enjoys as a result cannot be dismissed. Spider-Man is and remains Marvel's number one best-selling character. Uh, even if for one month he's not, there's 10 or 11 months that he is, he's always basically winning that showdown. Spider-Man is very popular. Venom playing off of him became uh, a big deal. He became more popular. In fact, when I was growing up, Dr. Octopus and Green Goblin were like the preemptive, like uh, most popular uh, Spider-Man villains today. The casual fan will tell you. Venom is Spider-Man's number nemesis and who's to tell me and to tell them that they're wrong. It's been 30 years. Venom has a tremendous uh, resonant presence and influence and people dig him. And so now we're arguing over these credits, but you, you don't get the Venom without the symbiotic costume. So at some point in the way, you get the Marvel team up, you get the uh, Secret Wars, and you get the Amazing Spider-Man 252 by the ship dates. Marvel team-up shipped first. It is an expensive comic. Amazing Spider-Man 252. We saw the 
the costume on Spider-Man for the first time there. And then in Secret Wars 8, we learned of the origin of the costume, which took place on the battle world where Beyonder had taken all the, all the villains and heroes to battle. And the true essence of the black costume was to sell two different Spider-Man action figures in the Secret Wars toy sets, which they did mission accomplished. That happened. The black costume was very popular, but a guy like Todd uh, did not want to draw it because he wanted to draw the classic. There was a period where um, Superman was a blue and white lightning bolt. Yes, it is the absolute low, 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 low point of Superman's publication. It would be like me going on there and going, "Can I? how fast can I get him back to the big S on his chest and the red cape? Todd wanted the classic. He felt like the fans wanted the classic. And so he got the classic. Whatever motivation was to take Venom and spin him off or the symbiotic costume and jump onto somebody else. According to David Michelinie, these are his facts. This is how he saw it. And this is why he keeps coming forward to make this claim. And he's proud of it. He's very proud of it. He obviously has a sense of ownership. So appears to... Todd McFarlane, he has a claim and a sense of ownership. But I am telling you that, that, that again, my buddy Jimmy J said this parentage of Venom is messy because of the black costume, the round friends, the Mike Zek, the Secret Wars, the Amazing Spider-Man 252, and the Marvel team-up, which has, I believe, art by Greg LaRocque inside and a killer awesome cover by Art Adams. Which then you, you you throw in the writers, Roger Stern, Jim Shooter. Venom indeed has many, many, many fathers. What makes it, uh, it is a classic. David was the full writer. Todd was the full artist. Let me let me peel this back to you and talk about creator, con, uh, you know, creation. I have, I have some obvious experience in this matter. And, and let's start with Frank Miller. Frank Miller, God of Comic Books, uh, Sin City 300, Dark Knight Returns, his epic Daredevil run. His epic Daredevil run uh, began when he introduces this seminal new character. And again, I will never forget where I was pulling uh, this issue off of the stands uh, at at the at the lo at the local food mart, um, and it was on one of the higher rungs. I had to kind of stretch myself to get it, and I couldn't believe how much how excited I was. And it was Daredevil one sixty eight, and it has Elektra, and she is standing on the pier, and she is the lightning is striking behind her, and she is leering down at Frank Miller. The cover is penciled by Frank Miller. It is inked. By Klaus Janssen, one of the greatest inkers, finishers, and bellishers of all time. And he and Frank have a long, long history of working together. Very successful. Daredevil 168 was Frank's first foray as writer and artist. He wrote it and he penciled it. Klaus Janssen inked it. He did not have a scripter. He did not ask for someone to do the word balloons and um, and, and and do that because uh, he did that himself. He, he felt like he could manage that himself. For me, when I took over the New Mutants, I wrote it. I wrote the stories, the character conflict, introduced the characters, the action, the drama. That's my job as the writer. 
and never once consulted, had the stories, had written myself. This is part of historical, accurate, um, um, you know, facts and figures that are cataloged, that are part of history. Uh, I was paid as the writer, as the person, as the story, who came up with the story. Then I penciled in and inked it. See, Frank wrote and penciled Daredevil, but the one of the best inkers of all time inked it every issue without fail. I penciled and inked my own book and did the plots and the stories. I still wore multiple hats like Frank did, but where he didn't ink his work, I didn't script my work. Scripting is the words, the dialogue that conveys what you tell is going on in the story. So for me in New Mutants 98, when I jump on, I am writing the story. I am penciling and inking the book. I don't have time, given that the two hats that I am wearing are more time-consuming in terms of penciling and inking, which means the final lines are mine, not someone else's. I don't have an embellisher. I don't have the greatest inker of all time inking me. Frank penciled and wrote. I wrote, penciled, and inked. But his writing also involved dialogue. I hired a dialogue person. I had my choice of Jim Valentino, Scott Libdell, others. Um, I went forward and I, 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 I chose the path of least resistance. But kid you not, had Jim Valentino scripted New Mutants 98, he would, per Marvel's rules as the first appearance, be entitled to the creator's royalty. It is a nice perk. It is absolutely 100% a perk. I sold Daredevil to Marvel. I sold Cable to Marvel as the person providing the stories and negotiating the entrance of these characters and the manner that they would be depicted. There was a clear process. You would fill out your form as the writer and artist, but not the scripter. The scripter left the door open and gave a credit to the person who is going to do the dialogue and the script. And the person who does it the first time gets that perk, gets that extra. You can't remove them from that. It's the first appearance. They contributed to it. They put the dialogue in there, uh, uh, following the guidelines and the instruction of the story. And, and as a perk, they get a creator participation. That is how Marvel works. You know it going in the door. And you understand that you are choosing not to wear that. I could have scripted it myself as well. I had just written a story for Marvel, a Wolverine three-parter. They were letting me do my writing. But for me, the penciling and the inking and the visuals, go back to Eric Larson. It's the visuals. It's the visuals. Go back to me telling you about Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, Racer X, Darth Vader, Venom, Deadpool. Um, Visuals matter. Visuals rock us. Visuals engage us. Visuals excite us. But on on, 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 uh, my situation on Deadpool is not... The situation on Venom. Todd was the artist. He penciled and inked. Dave Michelinie was the full writer. He did the story and the dialogue. Okay? So it was very clean cut. One is one and the other is the other. And, uh, you know, had Todd written the story and David done the dialogue uh, on, Ven- on, on the first appearance, then David's contribution to Venom would be contractually categorically much less.
but he wrote the plot and did the dialogue. He provided the story and the dialogue. He did the full writer, Monty. On my books, I did the story. Frank Miller didn't hand the dialogue off to someone else. If he did, there would be someone else who had claimed the ownership of Elektra. I recently did a major X miniseries. I wrote the whole thing, dialogue and all, so as to not share credit, especially the first issue. I wrote it, I dialogued it, and I penciled it, and I inked it so that no one would have a claim or a credit to Major X but me. It took, you know, you learn as you go in the years that you work and create this work and create the art, and you realize, well, this is something that I would do differently this time because I created this fantastic perk um, by leaving the door open to a someone who could script and dialogue. And and again, you'll never know how close Jim Valentino and Scott Lobdell were being, were, were to being, you know, those guys. But that's the way that history rolls out. Again, had there been someone who dialogued over Frank Miller's plot and his pencils on Daredevil 168, there would be a participant who got a piece of that perk. And their perk would be a um, tiny taste of the uh, the creator's participation. When George Perez took over Wonder Woman, he also used a scripter. He got his buddy Len Wein to put the dialogue over his stories. He did a very uh, all-encompassing, new build-out, new modern-day uh, storyline telling you who Wonder Woman was. But he didn't do the dialogue because he was putting everything he had into creating the story and drawing all the pictures to go with the story. He had Len Wein come in as someone who provided dialogue, especially early on. This is very commonplace. Even in his letter, David Michelini says in one of the Web of Spider-Man issues, he only did the plot. He didn't do the script. Someone else did. Very common. It's the kind of the manufacturing method that Marvel taught all of us to do. When it comes to Venom, I have no idea what happened. Everybody has their own story. I certainly wasn't there. To quote Hamilton, I was not in the room where it happened, okay? I, I, I was not anywhere near. I have no notice of any of this. It makes for great feuding. It makes for great conflict. It makes for, I mean, you got Ron Friends and Brett Beating, Breeding, who are tribally of Michelinie's era, coming out, standing up for their guy. Again, it's like Larry Bird and, uh, and, and Magic Johnson and Isaiah Thomas protecting their 80s. Eric Larson is stepping up and, 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 and uh, defending his buddy Todd. Todd has his version of things. David has his version of things. No, Jim Shooter has not weighed in. Michael Zeck hasn't weighed in. Rick Leonardi hasn't weighed in. Because Rick Leonardi took the drawings of the original um, fan who sent in the idea to Jim Shooter who then gave him the money. And Rick Leonardi did um, some turnarounds on the sheet, uh, uh, character sheets. Um, uh and, and 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 so Rick Leonardi is in fact in on this um uh uh the, it, you can't divorce him from this creation and uh Jim Shooter uh wrote about this extensively in his blog several years ago um the 
And that is where I first came to learn of the mysterious fan who sent <clears throat> who sent the uh, the the idea in. And apparently that was in 1982. The 22-year-old man was named Randy Schuler. Okay, and he uh, you know submitted this idea to Marvel. He wanted Spider-Man to have an upgrade in both appearance and abilities. And he presented this new black stealth-like suit. He said it was designed by Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. Excuse me. And uh, it would be made of durable and stealth-like molecules. So as to be able to be, in essence, a great superhero costume. Unstable molecules is the greatest kind of uh, you know, forgives all sins uh, method ever introduced. Unstable molecules. That means your costume can stretch, expand, rip, heal, turn invisible. Unstable molecules. So um, this idea from Randy Schuler was purchased by Jim Shooter for the grand total of $220. Uh Schuler submitted several different versions of a story, but Marvel ultimately opted to go with their own and not let him write it, but they did pay him for conceiving of it. Um, and then they finally applied it in Jim Shooter's 1984 Secret Wars, which had a toy line that they got to sell two Spider-Man toys. You wanted and got, as I did, as I'm sure you did, the red and blue, and you also got the black. So it was really a, uh, a product of how do we sell two of the most popular toys that we have. And they did. And it was fun. And um, Venom was created in that 299 issue 300. Eddie Brock, we're never going to know it. We've got Todd's story. It sounds plausible. We've got David's story. It sounds plausible. David has perhaps a little more research. He's got that Web of Spider-Man story where Peter Parker is being pushed. If you look at the page, it's drawn by Mark Silvestri, no less. It is a thinner arm. Again, maybe possibly the female representation of the character that David had, had talked about. Well, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, all in the mix on this, making for one giant image comics like hoagie sandwich it's like everybody's involved in this and and then you got mike zek who drew secret wars 8 which has the gloop jumping onto and creating onto peter parker and creating the costume and again in spider-man 3 with tom raimi it kind of follows the comic book origin jumping onto eddie brock they're able to interact in that movie venom and spider-man are interacting kind of a weird Venom, Topher Grace, not crazy about his portrayal, but, you know, that's exactly how he was told to be portrayed. But the, uh, here's the deal. Whole lot of cooks in this kitchen. Fun sorting it out. Don't know that it can be sorted out. I don't need it to be sorted out. These articles where they go off and talk shit about each other are gold. It's gold. It's the kind of stuff that you go, man, this does not come along every day. I'm going to enjoy it while it lands in my lap, okay? And, uh, and so today, we did it. We tackled this very complicated, um, very 
very detailed, uh, very tangled web. I think a tangled web has been has been weaved. Okay, but we've, we've we've done the best to share it. This is the basis of this conflict. I'm not sure it's ever going to get solved. I understand everybody's position in it. It is my best kind of application that I can understand and give sympathy to each side. There was not a plot art scripter situation here. Um, like a Perez on Wonder Woman or, or like myself where the artist is the guy providing the story. This is one guy was the writer, one guy was the artist. So honestly... Marvel kind of just splits the baby equally there anyway um, per the rules. Again, there's rules that they have. But there it is. There's our Venom versus everybody. Um, Venom, the, 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 the feud. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have following it this last weekend. What a kick. This is the time in the show where I read your reviews and your ratings and I appreciate it so much that you guys have reached out to me and are so kind and share your enthusiasm for this show, writing these reviews, giving them to the services, in this case, Apple. This says, Rob. It was great listening to your interview with Eric Larson. Thank you. Simple. Simple. The simpler, the better. Um, I didn't catch a name on that one, and that's okay. Um, but you guys have reached out and been so generous and um, and so kind in in reading your in in, in sharing all of your um, all of your great reviews, and I am so thankful. And we will close with one last um, fun, uh, 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 you know. Um, review here and it's from the Cuban comic fan. It says great podcast, great energy. Rob, you're always full of positive energy. This podcast pumps me up, reaffirming my love for comics. Thank you, Rob Liefeld. I was able to see so many of you guys on the floor in person in New York City. You were so generous. You were so kind. I thank you so much. You all have been telling me how much you're enjoying the show. I affirmed you. I'm going to continue doing this show. It's so exciting. It's so fun sharing this. What a crazy feud. What a crazy breakdown. The character creation process is different per the participants and the hats they wore. Script, story, plot, art, or writer, artist, just clear delineations. It all changes. It all changes whatever the application. And we've discussed it and dissected it as much as we're going to be able to do today. But there you go. Thank you for listening to the show. I am all over social media. I'm on Twitter at Robert Liefeld with the blue check really me. I am on Instagram at Rob Liefeld, short version, Rob Liefeld, blue check, really me. I'm all over Facebook. I'm in a million groups. Um, I love talking to you guys, exchanging ideas, um, discussing all of the different things that we love and cherish. So I really appreciate you guys taking this ride for me. Thank you again. This is the time where you're going to take care of yourself. I know that you mean it. I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, you're going to stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon.